Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. What are shadow people? What do you do if one appears at the foot of your bed? Do you have anything to do, do they have anything to do with black-eyed children? Hello and welcome to the 640th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. And those dark questions and possibly accusatory came from my co-host and partner in the paranormal, my dad. You see right through me, Ben. I do. So this afternoon, <laughs> we bring you an especially unusual guest on the, fascina- on the fascinating subject of shadow people. As always, we welcome your phone calls. The numbers are 800-449-1240. That's from anywhere in the U.S. or Canada. And 401-766-1240 locally. Also, we will monitor emails. Paul at BehindTheParanormal.com for emails. Right. Adam Tomlinson wrote, produced, and co-stars in the recent film The Man in the Shadows, during which he says he learned a great deal about the shadow person phenomenon. Adam studied political science and archaeology at Wilfrid Laurier University in Waterloo, Ontario, and law at the University of British Columbia. You can tell he's Canadian, right? Uh, he switched to script writing at Humber College in Toronto after realizing that politics and law were not for him and that Indiana Jones is just a story. Writing led, uh, excuse me, writing led to a stint uh, as a stand-up comic, which led to acting, where he can be seen in various uh, roles as villains and a couple of good guys on seasons four and five of Sci-Fi's hidden camera series Scare Tactics. The website: themaninintheshadows.ca. So, Adam Tomlinson, welcome to Behind the Paranormal. Hey, thanks for having me. Okay, uh, would you repeat that? Because <laughs> our audio was a little oh. bad. Oh, thank you for having me. Oh, that's very good. Yes, yeah, uh, great to have you. Go ahead, Ben. Uh, he's going to start us off with our question. Indeed, time for a, a, a sort of a basic question, but kind of a, a long, well, not a long question. So, first words in the trailer for the film, uh, "The Man in the Shadows," say, "Shadow people feed off of misery and our pain." What does that mean? Um, well, it's tough to say exactly because no one knows exactly what shadow people are. They could be a hallucination. They could be, um, well, it's most likely a hallucination. Then there's all kinds of theories that are from other dimensions and that sort of thing. But there does seem to be a definite association between people having shadow people experiences and being in just uh, bad states. Um, they're associated a lot with people who have uh, schizophrenia, depression, um, drug use, and um, yeah. They seem to be increasing and on the rise, and you know, the more people I talk to, it just seems like everyone seems to know someone who's seen something like a shadow person, a man in a hat wearing a long coat, or uh, or you know, an, an old hag. There's just you know, various kinds, and it just seems to be you know, the the quicker the world keeps working and the tougher time people have, and the more they're just uh, bombarded with uh, electrical devices, uh, it just seems to be happening more and more. And um, and that's uh, and also in terms of uh, uh, just for the movie itself, that's an angle that was uh, interesting dramatically to focus on uh, because it is the movie is about one person dealing with shadow people, but not just the experience of the shadow person themselves, but the associated. Uh, things that go wrong in, in, in terms of impacting relationships and making it tough to work. It's, uh, it's, it seems to be really associated with generally people's lives falling apart. 
and uh, you know that's that's where that's why that uh, line leads the trailer. So there's a, there's a lot of a lot of interesting things you said in there, and <clears throat> one thing I want to I want to ask out of that is, do you believe that shadow people are entities separate of human emotion, or are they reflections of human emotion? Um, I would think that they're probably separate. Um, I think there's a correlation, definitely, between uh, human emotions and particularly negative emotions. But um, uh, whatever they are, I think um, just from uh, you know studying the human brain and how hallucinations work, as well as um, you know. Uh, where they tend to appear, like there's certain places where there tends to be more uh, shadow people, and that is very likely related to electromagnetic activity. Um, so I, I think there's there's environmental and in individual factors. So I, I don't think uh, saying it would be caused by emotion is necessarily uh, correct, but I think there's definitely a strong correlation. So what do what did you do to research this phenomenon in preparation for the film, and what sources did you use, and all that? Uh, well, my first source was personal experience. No, we that, were going to ask uh, you about that. Um, uh, well, we can we can get to that, but um, I'll, I'll just. Uh, it, it was basically a very common shadow person story, um, where I was I was having a nightmare and I was being chased by a man in a hat. And it was awful, but it was a very lucid dream. And at some point, I realized, hey, it's a nightmare. I can just wake up. This is a bulletproof solution to nightmares. And uh, I woke up, opened my eyes, and the man in the hat was just standing there in my room, just, like, looking down at me. And um, I remember at the time, just, uh, I, I had nowhere to go. I jumped up kind of kicked the Batman and he just sort of dissolved. And from there, I, um, you know, I was freaked out but managed to go back to sleep. Um, and then the next morning, just kind of dismissed it. And it wasn't until a couple months later, while I was having a conversation with a friend, that um, he said that to me, you know, there was this one time I was at my grandmother's and this man in a hat sat down and I was like, oh my God, this is crazy. So um, at that point, I, I went home. Yeah. I googled we did, we did man plus hat plus nightmare. Sure this is exactly how uh, um, the, uh, the, uh, the story proceeds in the movie. It's quite autobiographical. And all these things came up. Like the hat man has his own Wikipedia page, which I was just blown away. Like I thought this was like some secret thing only I know. And then it's like it's everywhere. Okay. But um, the problem I found in researching is that once you get beyond anecdotal stories, there's a very little information in terms of what they are um, because the, it seems the people who are archiving the stories are satisfied with just doing that and thumbing their nose at the science uh, or any potential potential scientific explanations while scientists are just not even thinking about this. They just think, oh, it's crazy, it's nothing. So I found the research process to be extremely difficult. Um, like if you go on Wikipedia, it'll talk about sleep paralysis, uh, for instance, which is sort of the dominant theory that, oh, it's just caused by sleep paralysis. But it, um, it didn't take me very long to realize that that explanation just doesn't hold water at all. Okay. Um, and um, the sleep paralysis explanation is that um, during the REM sleep cycle, we are, are paralyzed. We can't move. And at that point, 
um, dreams, you know, you wake up in a state between dreaming and wakefulness and see images from the dream, and that's how people explain what shadow people are. And it's actually not a bad explanation just looking at my story in a vacuum. So I actually thought that was just the answer for a while. But then okay. I started coming across stories where people would talk about seeing them during the day, multiple people seeing them. So, it, like, clearly there's more to it than that. Okay. Uh, uh, Adam, uh, but I found... No, if I, if I may just interrupt you, we have a caller uh, who presumably has a question. And uh, are we on? Okay. Uh, welcome to ON1240 Behind the Paranormal. Uh, who are we uh, speaking to today? Well, it's probably going to be embarrassing. Uh, Dr. Williams, Gibbs Williams. Okay, about, uh, very good. Synchronicities. I think I was supposed to be on your show today. However, I never got a confirmation. Oh, I, well, I, I apologize if there was a mix-up. Well, we'll certainly uh, re- reschedule you. Um, would you like? Well, while while you since you're here, would you like to uh, join in the conversation with our guest uh, Adam uh, Tomlinson? Go go for it. Okay, great. Um, sure. I did, have you heard the show so far? Nope. I heard. The okay. Last, I heard something about uh, shadow people. Okay. Well, in that case, Adam, if you don't mind, uh, we'll include um, uh, Dr. Williams in part of the uh, conversation here. And again, our apologies if there was a, a booking mix-up that happens, mainly because I don't talk to the casting producers as much as I should. But anyway, uh, with the uh, the whole issue that you brought up, Adam, in uh, explaining the the research behind your film, um, a man a man in the shadows, I believe. If, yeah, man in the shadows. The man in the shadows. When it's the released, man in the it's shadows. actually going to be called the Shadow Man. We've, okay. Uh, all right. Uh, that's, uh, uh, there are a number of interesting. Uh, I'll, I'll let you guys know. Sure. There are a number of interesting uh, points that you brought up uh, on the matter of hallucination. Obviously, that is possible. There are different definitions of that. Maybe Dr. Williams has a comment on that. But there are photographs of dark, shadowy things that, um, as one who has military photography training, I think are legitimate. Uh, the term shadow people, as I understand it, was coined, at least so I'm told, by uh, Heidi Hollis, uh, who was a current um, broadcaster and researcher. Uh, I believe she lives mm-hmm. in New York State. Okay, and uh, But before that, back, at, back in the day when I started in the early 70s, phenomena like this were known. Uh, there wasn't a lot said about it, but there were experiences of and photographs of supposedly these dark figures okay uh but they were but with my theological background at the time and working with ed lorraine warren it was they were always demons okay um yeah you know and now of course i don't really accept that explanation but uh, the phenomena have been known for a long time so so that that's a that's a short lead in a long lead into a short question in your research how far back in history did you go for examples of the what is now called the shadow person phenomenon um, well, basically, examples go back as far as, you know, the history does. And uh, you're exact, exactly right. Uh, they would have been called demons. And I've I found, um, you know, people theorizing that um, all kinds of myths are based on shadow person experiences. And we're just... Um, and just we're different just based on different people's interpretations of trying to unexplain they explain an unexplainable phenomenon um but yeah they i think uh demons it could have come from that i've heard that uh uh vampires are you know they 
there's a lot of things vampires could have been based on, but some of the myths are based on shadow people. And the idea that uh, vampires drink blood is sort of a, a dramatic, uh, like a dramatic uh, way of describing drinking someone's soul or consuming their negative energy. Getting back to that again, yeah. But um, I've uh, I've seen like cave paintings that have. Um, shadow person looking characters on them which also kind of look a little bit like aliens and you know aliens also um, people talking about an alien appearing over their bed the stories are so much like shadow person they sure are and we've been dealing with a lot of that lately uh, particularly within the ufo community which seems to be much more receptive to this idea and there are a lot of phds in that community believe it or not who are interested in the idea of you know maybe the uh the label we place on the phenomenon depends on the context in which we experience it. You know, so exactly. a, if it's a certain context, it's an alien a certain, you know, within our narrow paradigm. Dr. Williams, do you have any comment on, on, on this, uh, what we're talking about here? It's certainly fascinating. I, I've never really looked into it, but I'll give you two associations. One is uh, spirit photography. Uh, I don't know if any photographs have been taken. I would imagine they have been, A. B. Uh, uh, Jung's term in uh, psychology uh, psych- and his brand of psychoanalysis makes a uh, major um, emphasis on the shadow, which is, uh, of course, the unconscious of uh, people who don't like to deal with uh, negative feelings, and uh, they're often projected into um, whatever, hallucinations, or maybe mm-hmm. even into... Um, real people and that's called negative transference so that's about as far as i can go with this sure uh well the notion of schizophrenia when i was working in psychiatric hospitals as a seminary student and as a grad student in psychology i was always running into people who were diagnosed schizophrenic and uh and in those days in the 70s there were a lot more inpatients than there are today so there are a lot more people whose eyes you could look into so to speak yeah and i often uh would be astounded by the knowing look you would receive in return and i became convinced that at least in some cases uh, people may have been experiencing real worlds maybe parallel worlds in the sense that quantum physics talks about them and some some physicists anyway and um and and that that they were we were the ones who were not, who weren't really normal in, in the, the fullest sense of the human term, I suppose. And yeah. uh, it made me wonder, uh, what is schizophrenia? I mean, is it always some sort of imbalance or is, is it, uh, an awareness, perhaps, in some cases at least? So, uh, um, well, we, oh, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, so why well, is, no, is, I, I, no, right. you go, you go ahead, doctor. The, the world seems convinced, or the world seems like, dedicated to proving schizophrenics right, um, right down to, you know, implants that are now all the rage in the medical community. You know, I read one study where they're talking about gauging the effectiveness of drugs used to treat schizophrenia by implanting implants, and that seems to be, like, one of the things that people with schizophrenia are most paranoid about, paranoid being, you know, the questionable word at this point. Sure. Uh, well, because unfortunately we only have an hour here to talk about this fascinating subject. We can repeat that, certainly uh, have you back, even both of you. Um, now, let me um, ask you about um, the notion of the urban legend, okay? Uh, this also might come into the experience. And an urban legend is, and we talked about this I think a little bit last week, was 
you know, the the stories that come home. Uh, Ben's mom came home one day with a story about uh, someone in in the she works in the legal profession and someone who said, well, I I, I talked to a friend who. Uh, in the port of Providence, Rhode Island, where we, uh, you know, we live near there. And uh, there was this really strange-looking dog, and she picked it up and brought it home. It turned out it was also this Australian rat that really could have killed her, and her, you know, all this business. And this oh, is wow. this is an urban legend that you hear around, hear all over the place. Um, the the uh, choking Doberman and others, uh, th- these are all stories. And I'm wondering if, um, regardless of its uh, reality, whatever, whatever that term may mean, uh, in whatever context, the shadow person uh, may have, might have entered the realm of the urban legend at this point. And, uh, and people who have, have some sort of experience that maybe even just looks like it or they think looks like it, and, and the stories escalate. What, what would uh, Let's start with, with you, Adam. What would you say about that? Well, I think um, the Slender Man is, definitely an example of a, a Norman legend, or I guess now it, it's a meme um, yeah. that um, is uh, based on uh, shadow, shadow people. I mean, it's, um, it's actually, uh, I don't know if you're familiar, there's um, um, a guy, and I think it was Sweden in 2009, who introduced Slender Man to the world, and the idea that... Uh, I'm, don't quote me exactly on this, but the idea that if he appeared in a picture, someone would die. And there was some kids in, I think it was Britain, who um, used this as part of uh, an excuse and some tragic thing where I think someone was actually really hurt. But it's sort of taken off from that. that. Yeah. And if you look at, if you Google Slender Man images, you'll find that it's almost an amalgamation of images of a you know sh- shadow person and an, an alien. And it's a very scary kind of thing, and it's something kids just pass around to scare each other. But um, um, from what I I can understand, it's at least partially based on shadow people, and okay. in that way, it is sort of working its way into you know, collective pop culture as well as just our you yeah. know, overall consciousness. Well, Dr. Williams mentioned uh, Carl Jung, the great psychologist who was a uh originally a disciple of Freud, but um, he, he's, Jung mentioned a lot of things, came up with a lot of things that I per, happen to agree with for what that's worth, and he mentioned the notion of archetypes. And uh, Dr. Williams, could you describe what an archetype is? We did that last week on the show, but maybe people weren't listening uh, as they are today. So, uh, As I understand it, an archetype is a, um, it's like an iconic um, image. It's like, uh, I, I think uh, Plato did it well when he, um, with his idea of forms. Yes. That, for example, there is a, uh, if you if you look at um, where your computer is, it's probably on a desk. And there are a variety of desks, um, perhaps in the thousands. Uh, there is, if you abstract that individual desk into a form, a single form, a unified desk, or the idea of a desk, uh, I think that that's what is meant by an archetype. Okay. Uh, well, so in, within the paranormal realm, in our experience, um, Adam mentioned the slender man, uh, or, or even perhaps the shadow person, but we've also run into the little girl with blonde hair uh, in some very negative cases. Uh, also, in the last two weeks ago, I think we were talking with uh, Shane Searway, who was here for our open line show, and uh, he and I both experienced the man in the checkered shirt, another sort of archetypal figure. Now, it's interesting that, that sometimes these figures are um, interpreted uh, as as uh, negative, sometimes not, but 
sometimes there are multiple people who experience them at the same time. So hence my next question in the shadow shadow person phenomenon. Have you run into any cases uh, in, in preparation for the film, Adam, where more than one person has experienced a shadow being or a shadow person at one time? Uh, all kinds of stories okay. um, where people will have either um, seen the same shadow person in the same house or multiple people seeing them at the same time. It's uh, it's really one of the things that made me really question the sleep paralysis explanation. But uh, I think the idea of archety- archetypes is really interesting, too, because there does seem to be just certain kinds of shadow people. There's the man in the hat. Uh, sometimes they're cloaked. And then there's the old hag, which is this old woman that appears sometimes sitting on the chest of people who are sleeping and causing them to have trouble breathing or suffocating them. And it's, it just seems very strange that if it is just, you know, a dream carrying over, then why is it that everyone has the exact specific same kind of dream? I mean, the most mundane explanation is that there's some kind of collective unconsciousness. And that's an extremely fascinating explanation. Mm. But, um, and that's really the kind of question that's really uh, driven me to want to know a lot about this. And it's not just, you know, it's also to, you know, if I'm going to make a movie about this, I need to know everything I can. But sure. that's the main yeah. question is whatever the explanation is for all this, it's, uh, it will probably change how we think about ourselves and our connection to each other in the universe. Mm-hmm. Ben, if I may. Oh, oh um, certainly. Go ahead, Doc. I, this is this fascinates me. Uh, a number of years ago, I had the uh, privilege of sitting in on Bud Hopkins' uh, Intruders Group. Oh, with, uh, I'm sure you have some. We, we knew Bud. Yeah, awareness of him. Uh, and I, um, I was just, I was a psychologist uh, listening to, um, presumably abductees, and I was fascinated with the idea because these are extraordinarily intelligent people who had been traumatized usually starting around the age of five, and there were some common commonalities among them. And I was, of course, interested in how do you uh, verify this stuff, or is it verifiable at all, or is it indeed all psychological or psychological plus reality, and, you know, and so on. And I find the discussion you all are having uh, could be if you just substitute uh, shadow people for UFO sightings or abductees, uh, same material. And it's... Um, and, of course, there are a number of these things going around. I'm interested in the context or the conditions under which these um, sightings occur and whether or not there are any personality variables that uh, connect or are there any contextual uh, issues that people bring to these kind of things, which also bleeds into my issue, my, my, my uh, interest in meaningful coincidences, uh, which, another, which is another one of those um, areas. Mm-hmm. So a number of areas, they all bleed together. Okay, uh, Ben had a question. Well, I was I was, I was going to make, make sort of sort of a comment in in the research that we've done over over the past couple of years, sort of trying to l- link the paranormal together. Like all these all these events share a similar thread, which is it's usually viewed through context. So if someone sees a gauzy figure in a house, aha, it must be a ghost. Or they see a gauzy figure outside, and there happens to be flying saucer outside. Oh, it's an alien. We as humans tend to view things through our own sort of framework, and we tend to take experiences through the context of our own understanding as we've come to see it. Because we found that in poltergeist cases, some people receive some of the same wounds as they receive in 
uh, like abduction cases and all that stuff. So what do you, do you, do you guys have any comments on that or any sort of thing, anything to add or disagree with? Yeah, the, the physical evidence, which there's plenty. Well, I think there's also, I, I don't know about physical evidence, but I know there's plenty of psychological evidence relative mm. to uh, the field I'm interested in. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I, I think it's uh, I think it's interesting that uh, I mean with aliens, for instance, um, there's that image is out there. We all know what the alien looks like, so it's kind of easy for someone to say, okay, if you're seeing an alien, well, maybe you're hallucinating an image of what you conceive an alien to be, or you're seeing something and trying to uh, fit fit it, fit that peg into that hole. Um, but what's interesting about the the Hat Man is there is no Hat Man you know, image out there. It's um, it's not something that uh, people have sort of taken from their own system of belief and just kind of constructed it. It just, like, appears uninvited. Whereas you can say that, say, if someone has an uh, end-of-life experience where they see Jesus and they're a Christian, you can say, okay, well, then maybe that's your mind projecting what you want to see. But again, like, uh, uh, with the hat man, it's, I don't just see that happening. Okay. Uh, excuse me. <clears throat> We're going to take our uh, bottom of the hour break here. You're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WOON, 1240 AM in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley. We'll be right back with our guest, filmmaker Adam Tomlinson, and our impromptu guest, uh, Dr. Gibbs-Williams. Uh, and so stay tuned. We'll be right back. And I'm inviting you to join YWCA Rhode Island, Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for YW She Shines Radio, a program that celebrates the aspirations and accomplishments of women. For more information, visit sheshines.org. Owen Radio! Okay, and there are a number of charities Ben and I have adopted, um, most, uh, many veterans charities, both American and Canadian. Uh, and we will talk about those in our announcement section toward the end of the show. But right now, let's get back to our uh, impromptu but rather fascinating conversation with filmmaker, Canadian, Canadian filmmaker Adam Tomlinson and uh, New York State uh, doctor, a psychologist, Dr. Gibbs-Williams, who I guess was supposed to be on the show today. So, hey, the gang's all here. <clears throat> so we're talking about, uh, Ben asked during the break, uh, how do we bring together shadow people and synchronicities? <clears throat> well, I think, Matt, we have a synchronicity today in uh, <clears throat> the uh, coming together of, the, of this little impromptu panel. And uh, so perhaps uh, we can continue on this vein. Uh, well, I had wanted to ask, uh, in the, uh, the realm of a sort of expanding our, um, uh, discussion of archetypes or, or shadow people, whatever, uh, the issue of, uh, again, maybe depending on the context, men in black and, uh, various things of that kind that have turned up in various cases. And, um, I suppose the notion of synchronicities can be taken to another level by our work, Ben's and my work lately, over the past 10 years in what we refer to as flap areas, areas where various aspects of the paranormal are well attested, but uh, various phenomena that would seemingly be unrelated, such as UFOs or ghosts or shadow people or poltergeist activity, come together in a certain area, we believe because of uh, uh, the same processes taking place on the level of physics. Now, that's another long story. If you listen to this show, you know all about that. But um, so so let's uh, let, let's get into that a bit. Uh, when which leads to the idea of men in black and interaction 
between things like shadow people or other other manifestations uh whether it's one person experiencing it or a group uh what would when we can start i guess with uh dr gibbs here uh, dr uh, williams here what um would you say about uh experiences of, of that kind where there is interaction taking place between that's a good question that's right up my alley um, sure first of all i'm not a psychologist i'm a psychoanalyst i beg your pardon which may be inferior or superior to a psychologist. Depends, depends on uh, who, who you talk to with DDS. <laughs> right, exactly. So uh, it's probably out of favor. Um, I, I think I, I, one of my contributions, I think, that's really important relative to attempting to objectify the subjective with respect to synchronicities in making a science out of it, which I believe is possible, of course, is methodology. And with methodology, I think the, well, my, my way of view, viewing is through contextual analysis, which you will agree with. However, in terms of contextual analysis, I think the key, another pathway that might be extremely fruitful is let's agree that people see or believe that they are having these experiences and, and uh, they write them all down and they're objectively real in terms of the, the, the person. I think the key issue is what is the meaning of these things uh, to individuals, and then you have a division between a collective meaning and an and a, uh, a collective a collective unconscious. But I think the key is the collective consciousness. Ah, uh, implying, of course, and Adam, you might want to comment on this too. That uh, the the common belief now, particularly among physicists, that consciousness is non-local in the sense that, and this is what Ben and I are always talking about, uh, we don't believe in the island theory, that everything that we are is contained within our bodies. That that seems to be increasingly discredited now. Uh, is that what you're perhaps getting at? I mean, can, can the collective unconscious notion be uh, expanded to, to that sort of an explanation, Doctor? Well, uh, I think that you're talking about is the, the whole quantum thing and uh, with non-locality and so forth. Yeah. I... Um, from my particular vantage point of 45 years of uh, trying to view this stuff as objectively as possible, I think it's a red herring. I don't think, I don't think quantum stuff has anything to do with this stuff at all. I think ah, it has to okay. do with a new view of science, a new view of logic, in which you go from an overuse of linear logic to a different kind of logic I call experiential, which is a uh, taking into account various... Uh, Streams of information, uh, thoughts, ideas, intuitions, experiences of all kinds, perceptions, bodily sensations. And I think we're talking about the way the uh, creative self synthesizes all this material. Okay. Adam, what say you? Uh, I think this, this does uh, provide some sort of... Uh, uh, evidence that there is a broader connection between people, and I don't—I'm not sure if Dr. Williams is familiar with that. Uh, Dr. Michael Persinger from uh, Laurentian University. Yeah, he's, he's been um, on the show. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, um, he's um, spoken of uh, the connection we have with each other through the electromagnetic field, and how um, uh, when we have a thought or feeling or an emotion, it's stored in the electromagnetic field, and then that we are all connected in a way such that we do feel what each other feels and can and at some level and um, this is just uh, something I've thought of when you hear about people who um, 
a loved one dies, and they just know it instantly. I've, I've heard this story from dozens of people, their husband or their brother or someone very close, and they just intuitively know that. And you know, it's my idea that, well, how do they know that? It is through that uh, that connection we all have. I've even read, and this is something that uh, I'm sure Dr. Williams could, count on, uh, could comment on uh, uh, with a more expertise than I can, but just the idea that if the Earth's electromagnetic field was to disappear, we would lose our memory, and that we are dependent on this. In the same way, like our brain depends on the electromagnetic field, just the way our blood depends on oxygen. We have this symbiotic relationship with it. And to me, that's one way of explaining how just so many independent people can have the same hallucination, because I feel like hallucinations just maybe because it's the uh, easiest to explain, does seem to be like the easiest answer. Like it is some kind of, um, you know, an hallucination is basically just uh, our, our senses being hijacked. So a hallucination is functionally indistinguishable from an actual experience. So if we have that some sort of, uh, you know, getting back to archetypes, that shadow people archetype in our collective consciousness that we then can hallucinate uh, through our individual senses, I mean, it's uh, it's a better explanation than they're from another universe, although still, you know, unsatisfactory. But whatever it is, I think could be the same thing. Possibilities. Let me let me ask both of you this, uh, starting with with, with uh, Dr. Williams. Uh, if now, assuming that, and it's a big assumption, uh, that what Adam said is true, uh, or Adam's, uh, the theory that he mentioned may be true about the electromagnetic field of the planet, taking our memory with it should it disappear. Uh, if it takes our individual memories, would it take our collective consciousness with it? If that's uh, I would imagine true. So. Okay. Adam? Uh, sorry, what was uh, the other answer? Uh, no, essentially, uh, you mentioned that uh, should the um, electromagnetic field of the planet disappear, according to one theory, uh, our memories would go with it. Would our collective memories or our collective unconscious go with it, too? Yeah, I, I would think so. Okay. Yeah, well, if, that, if, that, if that's how it works. Okay. I mean, I think I, I would think of it almost like uh, just a big hard drive that everything's stored onto. Um, uh, you know, um, and uh, that our software is stored onto. You get rid of the hard, the hardware, you know, the software can go with it. Okay. Uh, let I, me... hope you don't, I hope you don't mind being a maverick, but I am no, not convinced. No, please. I am not convinced that the so-called collective unconscious is. I think it is a very nice, fanciful theory, uh, and if you read uh, Jung in detail and his history, there is no question in my mind that the uh, that the concept was originally a concept of his uh, of the collective unconscious flows absolutely without question from his, uh, his particular view of the nature of reality and how you access reality and his views on spirituality and transcendence. Okay. I think it's a very nice fantasy. Mm-hmm. Okay, except that, Ben, uh, you want to jump in at this point or anything? Because I have one more thing here. I'm still trying to, f- <clears throat> I'm still trying to gather my thoughts together before okay. I... Okay, Let, yeah. let's shift gears, gentlemen, a little bit. Um, and I'm, I'm sure that uh, both of you will have uh, some interesting comments on this. We've noticed in our work that uh, a lot of people have, whether it be shadow person experiences or any sort of experience that seems, seems to be beyond the normal sensory range on the cusp of sleep, either on, on the 
on the way into sleep, so, you know, the body is, is getting ready to fall asleep, or especially uh, they will talk about whether it be uh, abduction experiences or whatever, they all seem to be, you know, a lot of people, not all, but a lot of people just seem to be waking up out of sleep, on the cusp of sleep. And uh, I think all of us have had interesting experiences, you know, hearing things and everything else. What do you think about that as an explanation, uh, you know, a, a purely, uh, let's say, internal or psychological explanation for, say, the shadow person seen at the foot of the bed when you wake up, or even an abduction experience. Uh, let's start with Adam. What do you, what do you think about that? Uh, well, I uh, Not an explanation for well, all experiences, but for many. Well, I think um, I, it's, just, it's a correlation rather than a causal thing, but I think, um, I mean, when I look at my own experience in terms of that it started with a dream, and then, I mean, we started talking about what are, what are dreams, and, um, you know, it, it's just possible that we're just, you know, that uh, third eye, that, um, that um, um, you know, the, 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 the gland in the brain, uh, what's the one? It's right in the middle. It's, um, it's shaped like the Egyptian eye of Horus. Anyway, um, that our, our, conne- our connection to um, sort of the world is heightened when we're asleep. It's the same sort of... Uh, you know, ability when people talk about, um, you know, remote viewing and that kind of thing, which I don't know a lot about. But I think um, we're just more in that sort of uh, left brain kind of zone when we're sleeping. And I think that just opens people up in this, sort of in the same way that schizophrenia might, um, just to what's actually out there as opposed to what we, you know, just uh, wish was out there or want to fit within the parameters of what we know. Hmm. But it, it's a very it's a very tough question. Okay. And uh, <laughs> All right, Dr. Williams, I think what you're talking about is very fruitful. Uh, the the uh, experience technically is called hypnagogic uh, the hypnagogic realm of uh, experience, in which uh, this really might be something to uh, explore in some depth. What is happening in that area is that the time sense. And that may uh, lead into a number of these um, areas. Uh, that there are two really different time senses. There's linear time of past, present, future, and everything is in the so-called now. However, that all dissolves in the hypnagogic area, in which boundaries uh, drop away, and you have a different time sense, which is um, the playtime or vacation time or no action time, just a time of pure being. And I think what's happening in a lot of these uh, various areas is that there's an overlap of two different time senses, a linear and linear, and that there's a third thing going on, which is that the person experiencing both of these, and I wonder if what their experience is, is populated with uh, UFOs and uh, uh, synchronicities and, and you name your... Um, particular thing. Okay. That's like uh, the Greeks said two words for time, chronos and kairos. Chronos being linear time, kairos being time outside of time, or cosmic yes. time. Mm. Okay, so which all brings us, I think, perhaps to a question that is pretty basic. What is real? What, what does it mean we say something is real? How do we tell and how do we tell? So let's start, Adam, what, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, what, what is it that makes something real? Is it ma- entirely material or is it beyond that? 
Um, well, no, I, I mean, I don't think we can rely on our five senses to know what's real. Um, I think there's the really the only thing you can say is, is something is real within the context of our personal experiences. And I think um, the question of what is real, I think, tends to limit our thought more than it does expand it. I remember taking a series of reality class in university where uh, we talked about this a lot, and I don't remember anyone coming up with a very good answer. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I think it's uh, we're a lot better off just assuming that what we think is real is possibly not, and um, you know, using the question more for humility rather than to suggest we have any answers. But I, yeah, I think um, uh, the best answer is as we don't know and should um, you know proceed accordingly, and I think we can benefit from doing so. Okay. Dr. Williams? I hope you're not going to feel like I'm too oppositional. I no, that's, that's, we love it. I absolutely disagree. At, it, when I was about not eight or nine years old, or a little bit older, 13, 14, I used to walk around high school seriously asking my friends, what's the nature of reality? And they must have looked at me like I'm absolutely nuts. You must have been a kid uh, like is, I was. I got is, a lot of strange looks. conceivable. Nevertheless, it forced me to choose to be a philosophy major at Columbia University and there has never been a day in my private practice as a psychoanalyst where I am not thrilled with that choice that I made. Well, I, I, I have to agree. I'm a philosophy team. major, too. Uh, Great. And, uh, that's, that's two of us on the planet. We speak Good. the same language. Uh, two of us, yeah. The last, the last person I met with, with a Ph.B., which is rather rare, was a doctor. He took me to lunch because he'd never met another one outside of his, uh, his own class. So. But I'm sorry to interrupt. Let, Go ahead. Let me, let me just briefly give you an idea of where I came where I came from in this uh, synchronicity thing. My book is called Demystifying Meaningful Coincidences, The Evolving Self, the, um, the, the Personal Unconscious, and the Creative Process. And what I found is that over a 40-year period that depending upon your uh, assumptions about the nature of reality, the way we know reality, your assumptions uh, with respect to uh, the way we make meaning and so forth, depending upon those primary assumptions, you're either going to be a Platonist or an Aristotelian. Hmm. And depending upon which side you fall in, and this is a, a division between Jung and Freud, this is going to generate different explanations for such things as synchronicities and where, where they come from, what causes them, and what you do with them. So from my vantage point, the key issue is what primary assumptions do you bring or does the researcher or the the experiencer bring to any of these phenomena and understanding that's one perspective but there are there are alternatives okay now I certainly uh, agree with with the point that uh, people bring to an experience something that's very important and a lot of the uh, the pop paranormal investigators don't even consider that they just go in, they assume it's an entity, and they want to fix it, and it doesn't work most of the time, and it's a mess because they don't consider the fact that people participate in their own experiences. Okay. Now, uh, actually, I want to give the, both of you a chance to talk a little bit about yourselves before we burn up this hour, uh, which we're doing very quickly. And uh, we have your, your book, uh, Dr. Williams. Uh, could tell us about your website. Any, any other things you can tell us that will help people find out more about you? My website is gibbsonline.com. Uh, my email address is gwilliamsny11 at aol.com. Uh, okay. uh, I've done research in this uh, material for 45 years. Um, I am truly a maverick. Uh, 
uh, in the field. I started out as a de facto union, and because of my own difficulties, had a Freudian analysis of 11 years, and that plugged in critical thinking, which I think is also one of the great faults in paranormal research. There isn't enough uh, critical thinking. There's an over-reliance, I think, on feeling and intuition, which is fine, but that I'm going to do it. Okay. All right, Adam, tell us about the film and your website and where people can find out more about you. And tell them about the trailer, uh, well, too. That's very interesting. Uh, okay. Uh, well, first of all, I, uh, I, I applaud Dr. Williams for thinking there should be more critical thinking in this kind of thing because uh, there absolutely should be. Uh, but uh, my movie is um, it's presently titled The Man in the Shadows. The website is themaninthashadows.ca. Um, in there, you can uh, find the trailer. You can also just uh, Google the trailer and uh, um, you know, check out um, some reviews of the film online and that kind of thing. Uh, but um, it's looking like the film will be re- uh, released sometime in September uh, through uh, Archstone Distribution. Um, so, um, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll keep everyone, uh, updated on that kind of thing. Please I do. can yeah. be emailed if someone wants to send me an email at, uh, well, you can actually send it through the website and, uh, there's just a contact us, uh, link and I can also be reached at adamwlu at gmail.com if anyone has any questions or, uh, wants to tell a shadow person's story or just wants, um, confirmation that they aren't crazy which i get a lot of people you know oh yeah and we all so do. thank god i'm not doing especially one. dr williams must uh, get that <laughs> <laughs> yes i actually can't confirm that someone isn't crazy but if they are crazy it's not because of that. yeah or it could be ourselves i don't know mm. um they speak- can have free consults if you want <laughs> appreciate that i don't know um maybe you, you we should point out that you uh if you ever have any Work for uh, sound guy on your film sets. Uh, ben Need is, a sound guy. Yeah, I'm always, Ben I'm has a degree, from, degree in that from Everson College. So uh, Adam, uh, put that in your bonnet there. So uh, okay, just uh, we do have a few more minutes here, and I wanted to uh, to bring up one or two uh, other things. The the involvement of you know one looks for evidence that at least somebody with a brain believes in some of these things that we are talking about and the people come to us about. And uh, presumably the military is a relatively credible organization, despite some of its antics at times. And I speak as a, I, with respect as a veteran myself. Um, and I'm, I'm just going to ask you what it means that the military seems to be involved in the paranormal in general or interested in it. And uh, various projects such as the it was actually called the Stargate project back in the 70s and 80s. I, I have some people telling me it's still going on. Uh, people use uh, trying to to apply mili- military uses uh, or to weaponize, as it were, remote viewing or other aspects of the paranormal. We're working on several cases where the military is involved. Um, the, you know, we don't know for sure, but there's obviously some kind of research going on. And in other words, they take the paranormal in general seriously as a potential weapon, which I find extremely mm-hmm. chilling especially because of the point of appearing to manipulate time and space and all this business. But again, it's nothing new. Uh, what is your opinion on the credibility of many paranormal witnesses, whether it be shadow people or whatever, or aliens, uh, in, in light of the military interest in the same phenomena? So why don't we start with Adam on that one? Um, well, I think um, the one application where I think this could be um, 
depending on what it is, be used, is uh, just the idea that, uh, you know, getting back to Persinger again and his God Helmet experiment. Yeah. Where he... Um, I got a kick out of that. You were like 16 when he came on the show. It was awesome. Yeah. Yeah, and it's fascinating. And he used electromagnetic impulses for people to have uh, visions of, it could be like shadow people or deities or even just feel different emotions. And uh, I don't know if this exact figure is correct, but I read somewhere that within the last 100 years, we're exposed to 50 million times more electromagnetic energy than we were in the past. Wouldn't be surprised. And that's coming from everywhere. It's coming from our phone or microwave. Uh, all the equipment in your studio is um, you know, well, emitting a lot. this energy. So if um, it wouldn't take that much for the government to find out whatever frequencies pre- uh, persons you're used and just emit them low level from a cell phone tower, and uh, it could cause people to, you know, anywhere from feel bad about themselves or to uh, see visions. That's even more chilly, and we're actually working on a couple cases that involve something that, I suppose it could be that, I would not want to sound paranoid. Dr. Williams, a final comment from you on on that uh, subject of credibility. I I can't figure the whole thing out. Um, if, If the intentions are good, I think anybody who follows up on this stuff should use it. If they're not so hot, uh, what can I say? I don't know. I don't know what to say. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's an honest answer. Okay. Well, we're going to uh, apologize to both of you once again for the double booking. However, we had a very, I don't know if we got anywhere, but we had some really interesting discussions here today. We approached some possible answers. Thank you both very, very much. And uh, we will schedule you for separate shows. I know you like each other, but with separate shows, and we'll we'll get it done. But thank you both so much. So just one more time, Adam, uh, your website, and then Dr. Williams, your website. Uh, Themaninthashadows.ca. Very good. And Dr. Williams? Gibbsonline.com. Outstanding. Gentlemen, thank you both very much, and we'll be in touch. Thank you. Okay. So, folks, let's get to our announcements after kind of an unexpected show there. Uh, ben, take it away. Alrighty, so in a last-minute booking, we spoke yesterday at the uh, Saucer Symposium in Stratham, New Hampshire, and we had a great time. The event benefited the Exeter Nuanas Club. Uh, Kiwanis Club. Kiwanis Club. I saw NH and saw and said Kiwan- uh, right. Nuanas. Exeter anyway, so that's the Kiwanis Club. Club. Yes. yes, uh, yes. They're the ones who sponsor the uh, Exeter UFO Festival for the benefit of local children's charities up there. Which is and, coming uh, up. That'll be coming up, too. So we like to support the Exeter Kiwanis. Great folks. Uh, Bill Smith uh, running the show uh, pretty much up there. Okay, so many thanks to uh, Chuck Croteau, Mike Stevens, and Valerie, uh, Valerie Roy of Seacoast Saucers for organizing that event uh, up there in Stratum yesterday. We saw a lot of our old friends. It was really great. Uh, ben got a lot of congratulations on his recent marriage. He hadn't seen people since then. So it was, it was a great time. And uh, it's also it's going on today. As a matter of fact, it's a two-day event. So if you do have a chance to get to the uh, KRI uh, Center for Consciousness Studies there in Stratton, New Hampshire, uh, you can probably catch the last couple of lectures and help support a really great cause. Alrighty, so in our next public appearance, uh, and I do mean uh, our, because it will include Shane, and it will be at the Connecticut Gathering of the Paranormal in Windsor Locks on Saturday and Sunday, July 23rd and 24th, and we will speak on Saturday, then on Sunday, and we will host the weekly edition of the show with a panel of all the speakers uh, before a live audience. Also speaking will be our friend uh, William J. Hall, on the author of The uh, World's Most Haunted House and The Haunted House Diaries. This event will benefit the Queen of Hearts Thoroughbred Retirement Farm in Maine. And uh, Shane being Shane Searway, yes. uh, who was uh, our 
he seems to be uh, becoming a panelist with us on open line shows and do, doing a great job of it, and it's really uh, adding a lot of spice to our shows that way. Yeah. So September 3rd and 4th, we will be uh, on the docket again, at, as we just mentioned, at the Exeter UFO Festival in Exeter, New Hampshire. Uh, and in, in October, we'll speak at a MUFON event in Philadelphia, MUFON being the Mutual UFO Network, a very, very credible organization full of uh, very, very credible people. And uh, at the Greater New, uh, New England UFO Conference in Lemonster, Massachusetts, I believe that's also in October. Don't quite have the dates yet, but we'll let you know. Uh, more information as those approach. Meanwhile, you can find out more about the show, our public appearances, and more at BehindTheParanormal.com, uh, one of the top websites in the world for visits and use. Also at our site, you'll find over 650 free podcasts, or free shows, I should say, from ON 1240 and our four-and-a-half-year run on CBS Radio, uh, along with special shows and podcasts. And our forthcoming book, originally titled Cosmic Journey, don't be confused about that because we were talking about that for years, uh, it's now entitled at the request of the publisher, Behind the Paranormal, Everything You Know is Wrong, based on the name and motto, so to speak, of our show. Uh, that is slated for release by Schiffer Publishing in January. It's the first joint byline that Ben and I have had together. I've written a bunch of books myself, but this is the first we've done together. And there will be a release event of some kind, some kind of party, uh, and we'll let you know about that, where or when it will occur. So you can find my other books at Amazon.com, Amazon Kindle, Barnes & Noble Nook. Uh, but if you buy them directly online at BehindTheParanormal.com, uh, I will sign them for you, and you will help us keep all those recorded shows on our website free. Also on our website, you'll find direct links to several charities Ben and I have adopted, including USACares.org, CanadianVeteransAdvocacy.org, and Youth Mentoring Connection. Uh, that's youth, it's, um, youthmentoring.org in Los Angeles. They do a great job out there uh, for at-risk youth in some of the, the most uh, uh, troublesome, troubled areas of that city. Also, a charity we've recently adopted, HelpForHaiti.com, uh, that's run by several friends of ours directly uh, locally here, and uh, we like to promote charities whose founders and operators we know because we know that the money is going to the right places and the right people. Uh, I just want to point out, as we do each week, uh, two, bo- two books of special interest to our local listeners here in New England. Uh, one is The Bell Witch Project, which contains that story and also a few contributions by, by me on historic paranormal cases here in New England. Uh, and UFO Repeaters, the title of the book, uh, with an entire chapter on our old friend Joe Ferrier, who was a talk show host at ON 1240 for over 50 years. And uh, we used to look forward to seeing Joe when he came in on Mondays and when we had the Monday slot and the drive time slot. And uh, we always loved Joe. He's a fantastic guy, well thought of in the area. Uh, and also a UFO expert in the 1960s. A lot of people never knew that. So most recently, I contributed to the newest book by Tim Beckley and Sean Castile, uh, with the unlikely title for, to have my name on it anyway, Spooky Treasure Troves, UFOs, Ghosts, Cursed Pieces of Aid, and the Paranormal. That was why certain things can appear to be haunted. Uh, so there's some interesting stuff in there. So, Ben, what do we got next week? Uh, so next Sunday, uh, you can uh, listen to our show. We'll have researcher Jason Jarrell, and I will be doing the show myself because my dad will be in Pennsylvania. Yes, uh, Shane uh, Searway and I are going to Pennsylvania uh, for a what appears to be a new flap area, such as the one we've been working on in Litchfield, Connecticut for the last 10 years. And we brought Shane in on this. It should be very interesting. And we will keep you posted as we can uh, as that goes. It's going to be very interesting out there. Uh, so we leave you th- this afternoon uh, with a rather cute quote from person or persons unknown. Yesterday is history. Tomorrow is a mystery. Today is a gift. That's why it's called the present.
I'm Paul Eno. And I'm Ben Eno, and thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey, and we shall see you next time. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.